Our reading today comes from Daniel chapter 12, and we're reading from verses 1 to 3. Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3. Um, I'll be reading from the NRSV. And just to recap, we've just heard from chapter 11, the angel is speaking to Daniel, unfolding uh, in chapter 11 what will come and what will happen with um, the kings of uh, the area of Babylon and uh, etc. And the empires that are sort of going on at that time. And then here uh, the angel continues and we're picking up the reading at verse 1, chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky and those who lead many to righteous like... Well, Father, thank you for this uh, new day. Thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive even now, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, your church, and pouring out your spirit into our hearts that we might be your witnesses here in West Sussex, here in our communities, and to the ends of the earth. So we just pray as we turn to your word. Uh, We don't just want a good talk, Lord, but we just want to pray that you would release fire in our hearts that you would move the mountains within our hearts and that you would send us to bring life, hope, freedom, deliverance, healing and joy to everyone we live with and wherever you lead us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people at home said together, Amen. Amen. Well, we've made it. We've made it to the end of Daniel. Uh, And can you believe it? We've been journeying through 12 chapters of this book. And we turn to Daniel, looking really at the the story of a courageous Hebrew representing his people. And as Daniel is focused in on some incredible stories where he has uncompromisingly, boldly stood for his God against the cultural stuff flying at him and in very hostile surroundings. Um, We've uh, covered that ground, and then in chapters 7 to 11, we've gone into the crazy section. Uh, We've gone into uh, Daniel's visions and dreams and angelic visitations, where God has been speaking to him about his purposes and revealing his ways and his call. Uh, And so we find ourselves uh, today concluding the book of Daniel, 
And uh, what I want to talk about today is what comes out in this passage is the idea of resurrection. I want to talk today about resurrection in terms of us personally, and where I'm going to go is the resurrection of the church. And even as we read this today, you know, we're sort of been in this state for quite a while, and we're on the brink of things changing, I feel. And uh, it's interesting that as we reach the end of Daniel, um, and as the people of God are released from captivity in Babylon, back to return to their homeland, they don't return in a joyful victory march. They don't return with tambourines playing, flags waving, and uh, a kind of marching back into uh, their land. Uh, but there's a kind of creeping back and an easing back uh, and a setting about rebuilding their lives. And I think there's some resonance there with where things are going to go for us, certainly in terms of church as we look ahead. Um, there's going to be an easing of restrictions, but it's not going to be a return, a glorious return from exile. I remember commenting on our Chanctonbury Community Facebook page when uh, someone was saying, oh, I can't wait to get back to church. And I commented saying, it's going to be a glorious return from exile. You know, and I was imagining the day we'll do an open air service, we'll get everybody in, we'll slay the fatted calf, we'll rejoice, we'll celebrate. It's going to be crazy. Um, and we're just going to have to feel our way and we're going to have to rebuild as we honour our government, honour our bishops and diocese. Um, but in that context, I do believe God is on the move with resurrection power and I want to bring that out today. Turning to Daniel 12, um, what we found in chapter 7 to 11 I believe, are visions and dreams of the forthcoming 500 or so years after Daniel, pre-Jesus. But in chapter 12, what we do find, I think, is Daniel being shown by the Lord what is to happen at the end of history as we know it. This is a proper end times vision. And I think, you know, now's not the time to sort of give a sort of end times talk, um, and there's been times in my life where I've been like, yes, this is exactly how the end times are going to work. And times where I've thought, I haven't got a clue. What I do know is when I read the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. And John brings that revelation to us because he really wants us to take from the book of Revelation the glory of Jesus and what God has done in him. But what I would say is this. Jesus, before he ascends and leaves the earth, is quite clear that there are going to be troubles in life. He definitely doesn't give a sugar-coated 21st century, you know, kind of um, fluffy vision of Christianity. Jesus says in one of his most famous stickers on the back of cars, all nations will hate you because of me. You know, Jesus is very real about there will be troubles in this life. And I think, you know, as uh, this comes out in the passage here, there's going to be a time of anguish and nations will be warring against nations. But I, I think what I've certainly found in my life as I look ahead and try and think about what God's doing in the world, when I put my eyes on culture, when I look at 
the world and then try and distinguish what God is doing from that, then I find myself, you know, led to uh, unbiblical and ungodly ways of seeing what God is doing. But when I pray, when I lock in to who God is and lock into the truth of his word, I've found time and again that that not only brings hope, but it also releases the kingdom through my life. Because Jesus said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you to his disciples and to us. And Jesus was sent by the Father and he fulfilled his mission by keeping the eyes of his heart on what the Father was doing and what the Father was saying. And what I would say is, you know, the world may descend into chaos, whatever, I don't know. But what I do know is that God is on the move, that the Father is at work in the world, that Jesus reigns over all, and he sent us in the power of his Spirit to go and proclaim the kingdom. And we're going to keep doing that. And who knows, the world may get darker, the world may get brighter. But I do know is that the promise is that the kingdom will expand and increase and grow. Uh, surely as a mustard seed grows up to be in the biggest tree in the garden as Jesus teaches. Right, boom. That's that stuff. Um, what, what do we find in this passage? What we find is... Um, Daniel being, uh, having revealed to him that Michael, the archangel, will rise. There's going to be a time of conflict among nations. But at that time, at the end of verse 1, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. What we find, what we find here is a, a summary in one verse of a load of stuff you find in the book of Revelation which is the conflict in the spiritual realm between angels and principalities, uh, de demonic forces. And then we find God's people being liberated and delivered. And it looks like this, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What we do find in the narrative of Scripture is that there is an end point to history as we know it. And we've covered this in, in earlier messages through the Daniel series. But there will come a time when Jesus returns and there's an accounting by every, every single person who's ever lived. They'll rise, those who are, who are dead, they'll rise to stand before Jesus as the rightful judge and king of the universe, and they'll give an account of their lives. And those who are found in him and are found to be righteous because of what he's done will also stand before him and be welcomed in to the new heavens and the new earth and to everlasting life that will never end. And those who turn away and decide not to recognize Jesus as king will find their lives in everlasting shame and contempt. And that's pretty hardcore, and you don't often hear us talking about it. But I just want to sort of say to us today that certainly in, in our church culture locally, we will talk a lot about seeing the kingdom come now. And it's partly because we've been discovering, you know, that what Jesus taught when he lived in the Gospels and, and release the kingdom in word and deed, we've been discovering that Jesus never anticipated that ending, that we are to 
by faith, pray into being how Jesus taught us to pray, that thy kingdom come and thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That this isn't an end times promise that will be fulfilled when Jesus returns, but that the kingdom, through the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom of heaven, becomes a reality through our lives as we drive forward in revealing this, loving people, exampling it, demonstrating it through our lives. And as such, the kingdom begins to materialize all around us. So we are very focused on seeing the kingdom come now. And partly that is redressing a lot of um, where the Christian church has been, which has probably overemphasized life everlasting, going to heaven when you die as a liberation from this dark world. So I'm not unpicking that because I'm like, kingdom now, that's our vision as a church. We love it. We are expectant. We're seeing signs of this and we're expectant for the more that we will see the kingdom of heaven materialising in increasing ways here in our villages, here in the South Downs, here in West Sussex, here in, here in Britain, in our country, as we proclaim the, the Lord Jesus and the fact that he is on the move through our lives and as we surrender our lives to him. But there is also another truth here. And the truth is, is that Jesus has come to offer us everlasting life, everlasting salvation. And what that means is that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, it means that he saves us. He saves us now, and we feel the effects and benefits now, but he also saves us forever and ever and ever. He saves us from shame and everlasting contempt. He saves us from eternal separation from God. He saves us to be with him and to be restored and redeemed into what we were always meant to know and never meant to be without, which is ongoing union, communion, being with God forever and ever and ever. And when you come to know God and how kind and full of love and light and joy he is, why would we ever want to be apart? And we were apart because of our own volition and our own decisions, exampled for us through Adam and Eve. And I know, even know that in my own life and in my own heart, but restored to us by Jesus coming as one of us and through his death on the cross, through his rising from the grave in the resurrection, he comes now and he says, come, to me, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm saying, come, come, come. And when we come to Jesus, we find ourselves plugged in and restored and reborn, remade spiritually in our hearts, anticipating what will be ours forever and ever and ever, which is a resurrection from the dead. And what, what I want to say is, um, you know, uh, just... In, in my world, when I, I, you know, this happened very, very recently. I had to take a funeral for, for somebody. And, you know, <clears throat> it's always interesting at a funeral, particularly when people aren't that familiar with church. You don't know where people are at. But I tell you what, I just always take the opportunity to say, listen, what Jesus offers is just so liberating and so real. Do not delay the day of turning to him. Because... You know, the mercy of Jesus is that he will, I believe, offer us time after time and chance after chance to turn to him in our hearts. Do you remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross with the two thieves, one on either side? Do you remember that? 
And, um, you know, one of the thieves is kind of ridiculing him. And the other just turns to him very movingly and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, these guys are in agony, you know, an inch away from death. You know, there's no more time for them to live. And he just turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you remember those just moving words? Jesus says, listen, my friend, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, I'm just like, you know, don't waste your lives, accept Jesus now, but also just know, even if you're at the end of your life, that Jesus' invitation is there, full of grace and mercy, not dependent, praise God, on how you've lived, but dependent on how he lived and laid his life down for you and I, that we could be with him forever. And what's brought out in this passage is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion, any other philosophy, any other world for you. And it is resurrection to everlasting life. Life that has no beginning and will never, ever have an end. And, you know, it sounds wild and crazy. It's different to reincarnation. It's different to just die and then that's the end it is being raised to a life that will never ever end and a life which is delivered from evil from suffering from pain from sorrow and a life connected in union with God forever (laughs) I mean it's like what's there not to receive it makes so much sense and I and I think you know people would often say to me what are the grounds for knowing that this really is true, that this really is real. And one of, the, one of the almost foundations for believing in resurrection to eternal life, resurrection from the dead, is found here in Daniel 12. One of the, one of the foundations for believing this is that it says so in the Bible. You know, and the Bible itself is a mini miracle in the fact that 66 books written across hundreds of years that carry a single coherent narrative of the workings of God through different cultures, different people that hangs together and just paint this most glorious picture of God loving people so much that he comes in and he saves us through Jesus and then has this glorious vision of liberation from evil and sorrow and destruction that he is working out even now in our lives through the church and to those who turn to him. So one of the evidences is what the scripture says. You know, what Jesus says in his teaching. You know, what the Bible says. You know, I talked... uh, you know, in our Easter Sunday message from 1 Corinthians 15, what, what Paul the Apostle taught people about the resurrection and about the resurrection to eternal life. So one of the foundations is believe in this thing, you know, and there's so many different claims and competing narratives out there. It's really important that we do engage with Actually, what is fake news? What is confusing? What is deceitful and misleading? And what actually just, boom, you read it and it's just like, oh, it opens our eyes. It illuminates the fog in our hearts that this really is true. So that's one foundation. 
you know, but, you know, you always find some clever person who says, well, you know, what about this and blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, fine. The second foundation for believing in the resurrection to eternal life is, is the historical witness of Jesus. You know, he really did rise. And none of the conspiracy theories really answer what happened around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They just don't. And why on earth, you know, hundreds of people would claim to have seen him and then essentially commit their own lives to a destiny of martyrdom in response. You know, and, and what would explain the explosion of joy and boldness and intelligence in uneducated fishermen and, you know, a ragtag group of disciples suddenly setting Jerusalem ablaze and suddenly changing the whole Mediterranean world. It's just like, the resurrection of Jesus has to make sense. And if he was resurrected, then surely it validates everything he was teaching as one who has died and come back to life. I'm, I'm like, someone will always say to me, James, it's like, how do you know about death? You haven't died. And I'm like, no, I haven't died. But I know someone who has died and has risen again and comes to teach us about it. His name is Jesus. And so if I'm going to trust anybody, I'm not going to trust somebody who hasn't died yet. So I, I always say to people, exactly, please don't trust me. <laughs> I'm probably very untrustworthy. Do not believe a word I say, but believe a word Jesus says because he has died and he's risen again and he's real. And not only that, but he's real to us by his spirit, which you may not feel and taste until you're born again. Sometimes he will allow you to sense some of his presence. But if you give your life to him in faith, you'll be born again and you'll find the same power that plucked him um, striding out of the tomb in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago in resurrection. You'll find that same power touching your heart. Boom. So, you know, believe in the historical Jesus and then look for the glimpses of some of the testimonies that have happened ever since. You know, I was, um, Jim talked earlier in our service about um, our online conference on revival and um, I was doing an interview with the Bishop of the Arctic, uh, which will be up there. Um, and unfortunately, we started recording after he told this story and I didn't capture this, but the Bishop of the Arctic was telling me that he went to a church recently, uh, one of his churches in the Diocese of the Arctic, and they were telling him that one of their teenagers had gone off hunting. And he got off hunting in the Arctic, and he'd basically fallen down a cliff. And he lay there at the bottom of the, uh, of the cliff um, on the edge of death, and basically, he could just see blood pouring out of his body. And then, uh, basically, this... Anyway, the boy died. And uh, he went up to heaven, and he came before the throne of God, and he saw Jesus uh, gleaming with white. And God said to him, I want you to go back, and I want you to honour your parents. <laughs> anyway... Um, a whole day goes by and they're like, Where, where's, where's our teenager? He walks back into camp. His clothes are drenched with so much blood, literally hanging off his body, soaked in blood. And then when they examine him, there's not a scratch on his body. There is not a single cut where, these, where this blood may have come from. 
And this boy basically says to the community and then to the church, I, I basically died and went to heaven. I saw God and Jesus says, I want you to go back and I want you to honour your parents. Anyway, now that sounds wild, but I'm telling you, I just believe that stuff. You know, and they examined him, not a scratch on his body. He's, he's just like absolutely saturated in fresh blood. Um, you know, and it wasn't animal blood, you know, his blood, but not a scratch on his body. And um, I, I just believe that stuff, you know. And, uh, and so listen to the testimonies of those who died, have gone into heaven and returned. You know, they're out there. And, and I guess what I'm just wanting to say as I talk about resurrection is this. Do we really believe this? Let let me ask you a question. You may be listening to this, you know, and not a person of faith, you know, listening to what I'm saying, you know, this morning. um, But I just speak to you now. Do you believe this? You know, or you might have been part of our church for ages or, you know, Christian for... Do you really believe in the resurrection to eternal life? You know, I was thinking this about our Daniel series. We've covered some awesome stuff, haven't we? I, I, hope, I really hope it's been helpful to us. But there comes a point where, like, we're talking, we're trying to teach about the Scriptures, but each one of us has to step back in our lives and sit before God and say, do I actually really believe this? And if I really believe this, do I build my life upon this revealed truth about who God is and what he's done for us? Do I actually believe in the resurrection? Do I actually believe in eternal life? Because I ask that question because I think, you know, if we actually believed that when we've come to know Jesus, when we're born again, our bodies may give out for a time, but we will be raised with him and live forever and ever, then I think that would have some implications on our lives. You know, the first implication is for any of us who may be afraid of death, you know, I think many of us can sometimes be afraid of the process of death, but I just want to say, you know, for us who know Jesus, there's this, there's this revelation that I think he wants to give us, give us of just hungering, to be with him and the liberation from some of the stuff that we witness and have experienced, experienced in our lives, that we've, we've done our bit, that we've lived this life for a few moments and then we get to be with him forever and ever. Do you remember where Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, you know, I don't know which to do. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because I get to go and be with him forever and ever and ever. You know, you know, verse 13 in chapter 12 of Daniel, I think there's some beautiful verses. And often when I'm praying with people right at the end of their lives, you know, I'll tell them about Jesus. And then I'll lead them in this particular verse, almost as a prayer. Verse 13 says this, But you, go your way and rest, for you shall rise for your reward at the end of days. You know, you go your way and rest. You know, the body may, may, the body will give out someday. But you go your way and rest for you will rise for your reward. Your reward, your prize, your delight, your joy to be with God 
at the end of days, forever and ever and ever. The second implication, I think, if we really believe in the resurrection, is this. We will be zealous and excited and full of faith to see the kingdom now. But alongside that, we'll also hold on to life pretty lightly. We'll also hold on to the things of this world with a lightness, with a sense of, I'm here for a few moments in this incredible eternal story, which, you know, if you imagine God was there before the world was made, and then the world appears for a few short, you know, a few short years, and we appear within that in a very small way for a tiny, tiny moment. And then at the end of our, you know, 80, 90, 100 years that we have, whatever it is, we get to be with him and we get to return. And then when this world wears out, we'll get to be with him forever and ever and ever. And this eternal symphony of love, just serenading the earth through the Holy Spirit, bringing us revelation, the Trinity, uh, that we're caught up in for a few moments and will be asked forever and ever. It just makes us think, man, why am I stressed about that stuff? <laughs> why, am I, why am I fearful of those things? And it loosens our grip when we have a vision and a revelation, that resurrection life, eternal life is ours forever and ever and ever. You know, and even as we live in this kind of weird twilight, you know, lockdown zone, it's like, okay, do you know what? I'm a Jesus person. I've got eternal life forever and ever. He's here in my heart. And do you know what? Whatever may come, whatever tide may rise and fall, I'm here for a few moments and I'm with him forever. I can just loosen my grip on life and loosen my grip on my fears and anxieties and stress and say, do you know what, Lord? I am an open canvas for you to paint your ways in my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, I think if we really believe in resurrection, if we really believe in eternal life, it has to deal with our fears. It has to scatter our anxieties. It has to, it has to just say, do you know what? You know, imagine the disciples in the book of Acts booted out of their homes, kicked out of Jerusalem, scattered, you know, not knowing anything, no purpose, no control over their lives. And yet they're just full of joy. They're, <laughs> they're like, we don't care, send us anywhere, but we're going to tell you about Jesus and we're going to share our possessions and we're going to heal the sick and we're going to dance in joy. You can lock us up in prison and we'll have a worship session. You can stone us in the the city centre, and we will never stop proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and he's done so much for us. Take our lives if you want to. We give, we'll freely give them out. We'll pour our lives out because he is our one and only. He is our prize. He's our delight. He's the one we live for. And we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. It has to scatter our fears. It has to re release us from anxieties and just loosen us up a bit and just catch us up into the eternal purposes of God. For we will rise with him. We will awake to everlasting life. And those of us who have accepted Jesus will become wise in him and will shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever and ever.
What stops you from being full on for Jesus? What stops you? We can summarise it from apathy and laziness to fear of what people think about us to pride and rebellion. <laughs> Let's just get it all out on the table. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying in condemnation. I'm just like, guys, it's just like, you know, Let's just allow him to just syringe all that stuff out. It's just like, who cares? If there's anything going on in this period, I think there's, there's a choice going on. Do we just go, Ugh, you know, in lockdown and in corona? Or do we say, okay, Lord, verse 10, many will be purified, cleansed and refined. Many wicked may continue to act wickedly. But man, I am game on. I am full on. You know, I have the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead living in my spirit because I'm born again. And if I'm slayed, if I'm reviled, if I'm rejected, if I'm this or I'm that, I get to live with him forever. What else is there to live for? What else is there to live for? So I just want to ask guys, you know, do we really believe this stuff? Because I think it has to lead us to a place, in, not of bullish arrogance, not of being obnoxious, but just of extravagant, life poured out, love and boldness and, and grace, but power to just say, man, it's Jesus or nothing. It's him who is everything. You know, I'm going to be with him forever. So I just want to say, church, come on. Let's rise up. And, and this isn't a rise up to do something because we can't really do anything at the moment. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're, we're not able to return to life as normal. But let's rise up and get ready for what God has for us. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul's saying is, I want to know the resurrection. You know, and I'm saying to you this morning, do you know the resurrection? I'm saying, shall we know the resurrection? And what Paul's saying is, I want to know the resurrection. And how that happens is by becoming like him in his death. Let's just die to all that stuff and let's get ready to be full on for him. You know, if there's ever a message from Daniel, it's like drop a Hebrew into the most savage, hostile, corrosive culture you can imagine and he shines like a star in the universe of dark darkness in that place and he's used by God to transform those surroundings. And I just think, that was pre-Jesus, that was pre the gift of the Holy Spirit, pre-new covenant. And man, we just have this incredible testimony. But we're post-Jesus, post-giving of the Spirit, post-new covenant. And don't you want to just shine like a star in the universe as we hold out this gift of truth, which is Jesus Christ. And if that isn't real for us, Let's make it real by waiting on the Lord. Lord, do this in me. Do this in my life. Is that good? Well, I just want to finish by just um, speaking now less about ourselves, but a bit about the resurrection 
of the church. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of lowly parish rector. <laughs> um, but, you know, the nice thing about reading Daniel is you get an insight into a nation. So please forgive me if I'm going to talk about the church in the nation because, like, we are living this out locally, but also I am passionate for the country. And, and I think, um, you know, w- w- I, what I believe is going on right now, right now on the 28th of June, 2020, is I think um, there's, a, there's a bit of a sense of meh and a and, and bit of like, you know, um, going on just generally in the atmosphere, you know, around, I don't know, the airwaves and, and the country. I don't know, it's just my perception. And, you know, I'm looking at this whole season and I've shared before, I'm just like, Lord, this is probably the defining moment that we're going to get, you know, in certainly a generation. No one will ever forget coronavirus. And we've got this weird scenario where, on the one hand, coronavirus has led to uh, a lot of suffering, you know, for some. Um, and yet, for others, there's, they've had a completely different experience of lockdown and facing this whole period. You know, for some, it's almost just been, you know, a bit of extra holiday and a bit of slowing down life. But I just feel we are in a very critical moment right now. And I feel like, uh, I was just praying and I was saying like, Lord, what are you doing like right now? And I was led to uh, Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, and you, you can read about this. I was taken to Luke chapter 22, verse 46. Uh, but it's a defining moment where Jesus is facing his critical you know, moment of destiny. You know, Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's gone into the garden to pray. He's wrestling with the Father on, you know, is there any way that you could take this cup from me? Or, you know, and then squaring it with the Lord, with with the Father, you know, yet not my will but yours be done. This is this key moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus says to his troops, doesn't he? He gets his henchmen and he's like, guys, cover me, cover my, cover my ass. <laughs> and he's like, pray for me, you know, because I'm, I'm going on my knees. I'm going to the Father. I need to pray this thing through. And he's like, guys, just be the backup intercessory squad, you know, just, in, in, you know, praying for me. And what do the disciples do? They crash out. They fall asleep. And we don't know, was it a sort of spiritual sleep? Was it a demonic induced slumber we don't have that detail in the text but certainly Jesus is like you're the backup squad (laughs) and they basically get the roll mats out they get a comfy pillow and they crash out and three times Jesus comes up to them and he says why are you sleeping get up and pray that you will be delivered from this time why are you sleeping get up and pray that you'll be delivered from this time and I, I say this without any kind of um, condemnation. I say it sensing God's conviction for my own part that I play in our church and for us here. But I just feel a bit like, I feel like the slumber coming on the church with a big C generally at the moment. And I feel like Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, get up, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. 
And I feel like th- th- this is a key moment right now where we may, we may be sensing or picking up just that, you know, um, that, that almost lethargy. But I feel like Jesus is saying, why are you sleeping, guys? This is the key moment. Get up, stand to your feet and pray for deliverance from this time. And, you know, I'm looking at the church in this country. And by the way, the reason I'm in the Church of England is because I'm looking at our nation and our heritage and I'm looking at buildings in every community across the land. And I'm thinking again, if there's ever a time and a vehicle for national restoration of the church and community transformation and revival then what ailing institution just needs to come alive and to wake up to actually be Jesus in every community up and down the land? It's the church. We have an arm. We have a presence in every community. And I'm like, I feel like Jesus is saying, church, why are you sleeping? Get up to your feet. Stand up right now and pray for deliverance in this evil time. Not with condemnation, but I'm like, guys, what are we doing? What are we doing in this moment? And he's calling us to pray. This is a key, key moment. And I think we are in the valley of decision where we could go one way or we could go the other way. And God is sovereign overall and eventually will work out his purposes. But the way God works out his sovereign purposes and accelerates them is through the prayers of his people saying, here on my bended prayerful knee, is a place of consecration and surrender where you can sovereignly pour out and manifest your purposes in the earth. That's why God calls us to pray so that he can then jump into our prayers and begin to work through our lives in the earth. And I'm looking at culture and all this disturbance, this disruption, this, this, this kind of turbulence going on. And I'm looking at that saying, come on, there is another narrative that we need to catch in prayer and then begin exampling in our lives and releasing in prayer and proclamation. And the example is this, man, like if there's ever a time where there's disruption in the nation, it's now. But... Jesus really is unshakable. Jesus has given us everything we need. Jesus is shaking out the dross of our lives and the dross of our culture, and he is refining us, but he's refining us, church, for the world. And he's refining us and preparing us because there's a harvest going on in the hearts of the people in our nation. And he's saying, where are my workers? Where are my people? Where are my people who are not gonna be afraid of what their reputation looks like when they extend Jesus to others? Where are my people who are gonna serve beyond themselves and open up their homes? Where are my people who are gonna love the unlovely? Where are my people are going to say, actually, in a relativistic postmodern culture, we actually believe in Jesus. He's actually true. We actually believe. And we find him to be true because experientially, he's just doing the most incredible things in our lives. And Jesus is saying, why are you sleeping? Get to your feet. Stand to your feet, church, and pray that you'll be delivered from this time. I've had the privilege for our conference of interviewing um, 
uh, a whole bunch of people, and we're going to put this up because I can't wait for you to hear it. But I interviewed two Canadians. One is Steve Long, who's the senior leader of Catch the Fire Church in Toronto. And I also interviewed another Canadian who's the Bishop of the Arctic. And both of them, when I asked them the question, what do you believe God is speaking into the UK right now? Both of them said the same thing. In different ways, they both said the same thing. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. They both said, we're in awe of the UK. We're in awe of you as a Christian nation. We're we're recipients of the faith that has resided in Britain for for generations and centuries gone by. They're, They're like, we're in awe of you guys. You've sent missionaries around the world. You've sent churches around the world. You know, the reason the Arctic is Christian, do you know why? Because a clergyman from the Church of England got on a whaling ship in the 1920s and asked to be dropped off three communities down from the North Pole, and he single-handedly, on his own, brought the Inuit peoples to Christianity so that now they they believe they're Anglican. I mean, I'm like trying to dial down some of our Anglicanness so that we can get back to gospel Christianity. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I love the Church of England. Please don't misinterpret that. But they're like, we're proud to be Anglicans. We're Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Anglicans. We've received this from you, the Church of England. And they're like, remember who you are and what God, God has deposited in your nation. You know, Steve Long was like, if you are trying to, if you're trying to find living water, don't just try and dig a well. Find a well that's run dry and start digging there because you'll, you'll come across water at some point deep, deep down. And there are wells in every community. There are houses of prayer in the form of Anglican church buildings up and down this land. There are are deposits in our heritage, in our history, in our culture, in the spiritual heritage that we carry in this country. It's like, let's remember who we are. And we are pushing against a culture which despises organized religion, which despises exclusive truth claims about Jesus. Let's, let's be honest. Which, which looks with apathy and scorn and, and you know, pours ridicule on the church. And it's like, brilliant. Hose me with ridicule because it's going to bounce off my body because I'm like, I, I still believe this stuff. And God is on the move and he wants to redeem and restore this country. And so Jesus would speak to us. Remember who you are. Why are you sleeping? Stand to your feet. Get up. And start praying. And this is why I'm so pumped that we're going to spend July and August prayer walking these downs. Because I am not prepared on our watch to let this summer slide by and be characterised by beach barbecues and Netflix. I'm just not. I'm not prepared for us to stand on our watch and say, we know, Lord, what revival looks like. We know what the kingdom coming looks like. We know. And when God speaks to us prophetically, his word never returns to him empty. I can't put a, a, a 
limit on the timing of this. I can't tell you when these things are gonna be reality because they are God moving through our lives and moving through his church to make them real. But what I'm saying is I'm not prepared to let the opportunities of this time slide by and just go, do you know what? Well, you know, it's like, uh, well, there was a great opportunity there, but, you know, uh, who knows? It's like I feel it, God is just saying the time is ripe. This is our Garden of Gethsemane moment. And the stuff dying and perishing in our lives that God is disrupting, and let's just say yes to that. The rubbish in my heart, which doesn't shine the glory of God, I'm just like, man, let me die quicker. <laughs> kill me off. You know, kill me off quicker. Because a Garden of Gethsemane and a crucifixion always precedes a resurrection. And I believe God is, God is resurrecting the church. That's what he, is in his heart. And I'm not promising that, but I'm speaking prophetically and I'm saying this is what I believe God is doing and he's calling us to and is in his heart. And he's saying, who's going to rise to their feet? Who's going to shake off the sleep? Who's going to say, come on, yeah, I'm not being apathetic. I'm not being lethargic. You know, in our church, sometimes we, have, we don't want to strive. But I'm like, doesn't mean we can't make some effort in prayer. <laughs> doesn't mean we can't get up on the downs and start marching, saying, on our watch, we're having this. Doesn't mean I can't stop getting up early in the morning, saying, my family's going to gleam with glory at the end of this period. Doesn't mean I can't start, start proclaiming and loving and just sharing Jesus with my neighbours. Doesn't mean I can't move forward with, with purpose and with passion and the power of God in me. So, you know, I say all that because I'm just in awe of all of you, you know, for handling this as so well as you can. But I just, I just believe God is saying, as Jesus said to his disciples, why are you sleeping? Get up, get to your feet and pray. We'll play our part for this brief moment that we're here. And then we'll join him forever and ever. But I think what, what I'm just going to finish with is, I, I, I just think it's so important that we carry God's heart in our lives. And we know what it is. So I'm going to finish by, by just putting something out for us, which we've been dreaming for as a church. And, and so wherever you are, you've been listening to me for a bit. Why don't you stand to your feet? And what I want to read, and one or two of you may have heard this um, before, um, but I don't think we've put this out uh, in Chank um, before. But, you know, a couple of years ago, probably about 25, 30 of us just gathered, and um, we, were, we were asked to just dream, you know, and hear, try and hear what God is doing, what his purposes are for our nation. And we put it together. I mean, you know us. We love a bit of prophetic poetry. So we put it together in a kind of um, 2033-esque narrative. And we called it 2040, A United Kingdom. And just as we're standing now, uh, I, the reason I'm going to read this is because I just want, want us to capture God's heart as a, as a disruptive narrative to what we're seeing in the world today and in the church uh, and in the UK, I want us to remember who we are and I want us to break off any slumber, 
that may be pressing us down. And I want us to capture God's heart. We, we asked the question, Lord, what do you want to do over the next 20 years in our nation? And this is what we came up with. So even as we stand in our living rooms, even as we just open our hearts, I just want to pray as I read this, that Holy Spirit, that you would come and just ignite life and revelation and vision and hope and joy afresh in our hearts. I pray that you would break our hearts for this country, that you would just break our hearts for how you see it and how you're calling with a, with a call of restoration, redemption, us, your people, back to yourself. So this is called 2040, a united kingdom. In the year 2040, a tipping point was reached in a geographically small yet spiritually rich island nation just off the northwest coast of mainland Europe. For the past 100 years, what can only be described as the presence of God had been rising at a deep and permeative level throughout the land. Across the country, the church had experienced profound spiritual reformation. Countless prayers of a thousand generations had birthed this renewal. Ancient denominations and new found long frozen divisions and even the iciest of souls melted by a fire of love that swept through the hearts of all. The knowledge of God as three in one found completion as revelation of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, erupted in the hearts of laity and leaders, thinkers and teachers alike. This was a restoration of the Father's heart. This was a rediscovery of divine identity. This felt like a returning home. And in the church of Jesus Christ, it looked like family. God at a distance became a past phenomenon as fear was cast out by love. Hearts softened and so insecurity ebbed away as intimacy and openness bred an all-encompassing communion. Personal revelation of our unique value to God released striving, rooting one and all on victory accomplished at Calvary and shed forth for all humanity from the deserted tomb. Rivalry was consigned to being an historical anomaly as all now flowed together in one healing river. Institutionalism was replaced by insistence on relationship. Parochialism eclipsed by a great dwelling together in unity. Religious practice became steeped with tangible pregnancy of divine immanence and power and immeasurable expectancy. In every church, rich embraced poor, young honoured old. The hearts of parents turned to children and children to parents as marriages and families were forever restored. Countless people were added everywhere, every day, each person finding their place in a never-ending, open-armed embrace of oneness. Liturgy on the page became the liturgy of the heart. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs echoed heaven's eternal symphony as style wars were quieted before a spontaneous, ceaseless song of praise that arose throughout the land. Possessions were considered for the benefit of all. Miracles great and small occurred daily as the word went forth, resounding through clergy and laity alike. And a beautiful serenity rested upon each gathering. The church found favour with God and people. 
in cities, towns and villages. Church buildings and church land became the heartbeat of communities. The richness in heritage now housed a richness of community vibrancy. Local needs and aspirations found a visible home. Social enterprise soared. Friendship found a meeting place. Creativity and entrepreneurship thrived within. Of course, worship still happened in the churches. The desire to gather for hymn singing, scripture and unbroken prayer was insatiable. But worship was simply the lifeblood for an all-day, everyday, living organism releasing power for transformation across the nation. Yet the remarkable feature was to be found in the very atmosphere abroad in the land. The revival of religion of the heart had softened the national discourse. A renewal of identity and purpose gripped one and all. Individualism was swept away in a rising tide of interdependence as extended family characterised every neighbourhood. So many received Jesus on roadsides, on mountains, in fields, in urban centres, blinking through tears of redented delight. And in so doing, they entered a wondrous, eternal abiding with God. Some said if you really stopped and looked, you could glimpse the most glorious divine light bathing the entire landscape of the country as if the skies were thick with clouds of angels. This was not a victory of ideas, but the renewal of hearts coming home spiritually to Father. This was a reformation of love. This was a restoration of family. This was an awakening to divine glory and heavenly presence. Whatever, whatever name you want to give it, all we can say is, God is there. And God was impacting every societal sphere. Science and technology pioneered new frontiers and new possibilities, magnifying the glory of God in the natural world and innovation. Universities and theological colleges exchanged critical thinking for creative revelation. The reviving of the spirit birthed the renaissance in the arts and a constructive discipline in philosophy. Higher education now became known as heavenly reflection. The tormented in mind and diseased in body found healing and relief as everywhere the church shrank hospital wards and waiting lists through the rediscovery of the ministry of its master. Justice rolled on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending flood. Prisons emptied, the abandoned were homed, wealth freely shared and the excluded and forgotten were raised up. New economics meant generosity trumped entitlement as everywhere somehow there was more than enough. Up and down the land, fields yielded confoundingly abundant harvests. Cavernous graves of industry resurrected as craftsmanship thrived. Artistry bloomed and the dreaming of divine solutions to earthly problems overflowed from heaven. Work was ennobled, rest was enjoyed. Schools now worshipped as they worked and as they worked, every fibre of every child's being was awoken. Even creation itself was handled with reverence and awe. A joy unspeakable filled the core of every person. The anaesthetics of addiction and amusement were cast aside as life in all its fullness exploded in every heart. Humble confidence and sincere purpose. Some might say 
a godly determination now characterise the citizens of this nation. Though rich in history, everything and everywhere seemed made new. Tears were wiped away. Mourning and crying gently ceased as the presence of God drew near to all. The unity of the inhabitants of this land now mirrored their governing authorities as a gracious yielding of hearts birthed an alignment of church, crown and government. One nation under God they proclaimed, yet in service of and for the flourishing of the nations of the world. The abundant resources discovered and divine resourcefulness released led this geographically small island kingdom to play its generous global role far beyond the sum of its parts. The heartbeat of this people is hard to describe. All one can do to understand what has happened is to stand back and conclude that Almighty God must have done this. In days gone by, some said identity has been lost and common purpose disintegrated. Redemption has enveloped the past. God has revealed his nature. And in response, the nation declares with one voice and with one accord, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now we can surely say heaven has touched earth. This is a kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy. This is the kingdom of God. This is the united kingdom. So, Lord, may you bless us and keep us and cause your beautiful face to shine upon us. May you turn the light of your countenance towards us. And this day, tomorrow, forevermore, and for the sake of this precious nation in your heart, may you fill us with a peace which scatters fear, brings truth, and roots us all in your love. Amen. Love you all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.